Virginia keeps on winning as it gets ready for Saturday's showdown in Blacksburg with rival Virginia Tech. Is it a must-win for Mike Young's Hokies? We'll talk about that, the 2023 football schedules, and much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 101 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch at Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year, and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. Happy February, Mike. Happy February. Glad to glad to make it. It is. Yeah, I, I was just got back from Syracuse where it was snowy. That That was kind of ironic. So my, my kids, my kids are three and nine and they have been just clamoring for snow. They wanted a white Christmas. They wanted snow on New Year's. They wanted snow on daddy's birthday, mommy's birthday, no snow yet to deliver. And I go up to Syracuse and we get snow and, and a decent amount of it. And to pass the time after eating an unbelievably large meal, David, at, at Dinosaur Barbecue, I felt like I needed to walk that off. So I went to the Syracuse Zoo. Uh, I was the only one there because it's snowing. <laughs> Admission is only $5 when it snows, which is a phenomenal deal. And I essentially had the zoo to myself, which nice. it was an experience like none other because the zookeepers in their mind, it didn't even occur to them that anyone would come to the zoo on this day, right? So they're out there and they're interacting with the animals and they're feeding them. And I met two zookeepers who were training the red pandas on how to come in when they're called by by luring them down a path with treats it was like it was like behind the scenes all access at the zoo i absolutely loved it it was great but there's definitely an irony and, and maybe a tragedy in the fact that i got snow and an all access pass to the zoo uh while my kids were home and i showed them the pictures and their reaction instead of being excited was kind of like what the heck dad you did that without us right yeah i i, I think i'd have passed on showing them the pictures some, someday, Mike, you will learn that discretion is the better part of valor. <laughs> I might need to get that on a throw pillow here on a couch in my office. So, yes, went up to Syracuse, had the barbecue, had the zoo, had the snow, attended the same basketball game as Jalen Hurts. Uh, that was pretty cool. A, a day removed from leading the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Uh, he showed up at, at not the Carrier Dome, David, the the jma wireless dome. Where the wireless doesn't quite work, apparently. Complete trash. What a terrible advertisement for your company to have the JMA wireless dome and just two rows of journalists griping about how the wireless doesn't work. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. It was a weekend, I guess, full of irony. It also included another highlight. I was supposed to appear on local radio up there. David, you know, when we, we go on these trips and sometimes the local station wants to have you on to preview the, the game. And I agreed to do that. And I was walking around the zoo and I said, it's empty. I'm going to sit here by the tiger uh, the tiger area, the tiger pen, and I'm going to do this radio interview. Um, I got away from, they had these wolves that were howling. I got away from the howling wolves. They had birds that were squawking. And I checked my phone and I've taken so many photos and videos. My phone dies. Oh, so <laughs> apologies. If they're listening, apologies to uh, ESPN Syracuse for, for missing that appearance because I had a dead phone. And uh, because also I'm, I'm me and, it's 2023 and completely reliant on technology. I get in the rental car. They don't have anything I can charge my phone with. And I have no idea how to get back to the hotel because I don't have access to my GPS. I am, I don't know about you. I'm still completely reliant now 
on, on the GPS when I travel somewhere I haven't been. But wait a minute. The rental car, you couldn't charge your phone? So this is a new thing. And I need to remember when I rent a car to be specific. But they all have the, the mini USB converter charger now. And I, I've got a USB cord. I've got the cigarette lighter. I, I mean, I've got a lot of options. None of them worked in this oh. this rental car. Um, luckily, I, I knew I was south of my hotel. And I knew I just had to drive around in a northern direction until I found... 81 North, a road we're <laughs> very familiar with down here. Uh, and it took me a good 20 minutes, though, to stumble upon 81 North before I uh, also, stubborn, I could have just pulled over at a gas station or McDonald's and asked directions, but there's a little bit of stubborn going on there. No question. Tip, tip, typical Northerner. Again, I, w- I was up there in Syracuse. I watched UVA, David, beat the Orange. It's the seventh straight win for Virginia. Uh Add in Boston College's win over Clemson, and, and the Cavaliers are now just a, a half game back of first place in, in the league. Uh, Tony Bennett's team got off to a little bit of a shaky start up there in Syracuse, uh, especially defensively. Maybe some fatigue from that quick Saturday-Monday flip, but uh, not not as sharp defensively as we're used to, not in the gaps, not deflecting balls. Tightened up in the second half, and, and we're able to uh, pull out what was a pretty entertaining victory. Uh, what stood out to you from, from their win there at, at Syracuse? Jaden Gardner in the clutch. He was superb down the stretch and in, in the last minute made f- four huge plays. Takes a charge, makes a decisive bucket, gets two defensive rebounds, all in the last 60 seconds. And oh, by the way, scored a team high 17 and had a team high eight rebounds. That's a pretty good night's work. It really was. It would have been a good night's work, even if it was just that last minute uh, with, with how big a lift they needed there. And, you know, I thought they got big plays like that from a number of veterans. Um, yeah. You know, Kihei Clark hit a huge three-pointer with three minutes and four seconds to play, gave him a little breathing room that allowed them to kind of hold on down the stretch. But that play was set up, that shot was set up by Ben Vanderplas coming up with a ball, staying in bounds, getting possession, getting it out to Clark. Uh, yep. It's a big, big play from him. Armand Franklin hit a couple of late threes that were really big. Uh, this was not a dominant 40-minute butt-kicking by Virginia. This was slow start, little fatigue, had to make some gutsy, gritty plays down the stretch, needed the big shot from from your veterans and Clark and Gardner. I think there's a value, though, David, in going on the road and having to fight for one as opposed to maybe coasting and, and then holding on. Oh, of course. No, that's because you're not going to coast and hold on in March. <laughs> that would be nice, but you're right. That's- no, you 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 got to fight and you got to claw and you got to scratch and you're not at home in in the postseason. This this is what prepares you for the gauntlet that is postseason. So no, all all credit to Virginia. Every game's not going to be a walkover, nor should it be, especially on the road. And, and Mike, you, you mentioned earlier, Virginia's now won seven in a row. Here's what else. Here's what else Virginia has done. The Cavaliers have won their last five games at the aforementioned Dome. John Thompson in Georgetown never won five straight at the Dome. Nor did Jim Calhoun in Connecticut. Nor did Louis Karnasek in St. John's. The only other programming coach other than Tony Bennett in Virginia to win five consecutive games at the Dome is Jamie Dixon in Pitt. 
<laughs> I would have thought Duke would have been that list somewhere. Nope. That's... Not now, Duke. Not Carolina. Now, we do need to point out, and, and obviously what Tony's built at Virginia and where they're going right now is very great, but um, this isn't this isn't your dad's Syracuse. No. I, that is worth noting, too. Uh, but still, to go up there, it, it, it is um, – it's still a tough venue to play at, and there's still talent at Syracuse. You still have to solve that two-three zone, and uh, you know it's 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 an interesting situation they've got going on at Syracuse. And uh, Jim Beheim's been there a long time. He made that program what it is. He is a, a Hall of Famer, and I, but there you're starting to feel that okay, isn't it time or maybe past time yes. for Jim Beheim? And uh, he's not going to have a lot of support media-wise because man, is he a surly fella in the post game and, and on the teleconferences and you know he they played without uh Benny Williams uh, on Monday night and who took been, a personal day so what? here's the situation he was replaced in the starting lineup last game by Malik Brown who's from here right. in, in Virginia yeah he's not at the arena he's not on the bench he's not in warm-ups you would think that Syracuse would put out a statement Hey, here's why Benny Williams isn't here. Because we're going to notice, right? Well, Mike Waters, the excellent journalist who covers Syracuse up there, reached out and said, hey, where's Benny Williams? And the response he got was, coach will address it in his post-game press conference, which is fine. If that's the way they want to do it, not the way I would do it. If that's the way you want to do it, fine. Jim's going to address it post-game. Well, they come into the post-game. Jim comes to the podium, and he makes your standard run-of-the-mill opening remarks and does not mention Benny Williams. This after all the media had been told, Hey, he's going to address it post game. So we assume then it's incumbent upon us to ask. A student reporter asks Jim, and his response is to get salty and say, Is that really the most important question? That's what you want to ask right now. Well, the kid had to ask. Somebody had to ask because you didn't address it pregame. You were supposed to address it post game, and you didn't put it in your opening remarks. So what are you supposed to do? So uh, Jim Bayham is a great coach, and He's actually a lot of fun when he lets his guard down a little bit and when he wants to have a little fun. Uh, and certainly losing isn't fun for anybody. But, man, I thought that was just uh, not, not the way it needed to go down there in, in, in central New York. And from a guy with, with that kind of a, a resume, you just like to see a little bit better. Absolutely. And I don't think any of us, Mike, would be surprised if this is his final season. Yeah, you know, I talked to a bunch of fans, and they're all about, oh, he he doesn't adjust in game, and all. Jim Beheim's a great basketball coach. To me, where he's struggling is he doesn't have the energy after a Monday game to show up Tuesday right on the recruiting trail, and John Calipari does that, and and these other coaches are still they're showing up on Sunday after a Saturday game. They're showing up at. Um, I heard a story actually about a player who picked Providence over Syracuse. And part of the reason was this recruit had canceled their trip to Providence, planned to commit to Syracuse. And Ed Cooley from Providence shows up at the kid's open gym. By the way, this kid's in California. Shows up at the kid's open gym to basically beg him to just take the visit. Well, the kid takes the visit to Providence, commits to Providence, cancels the trip to Syracuse. I think some of that is what happens. And we've seen coaches burn out and step away. I just don't know that Jim is going after the talent he needs and then developing it at the level. I still think on game day, the guy knows the game of basketball. Oh, there's, there's that, that is irrefutable. Well, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens there. It's uh, 
been interesting to see what Jim Laranega's been able to do at Miami. Uh, certainly Jim holds a, a little special place for all of us after what he did at George Mason. Well, Virginia Tech, which had righted its ship, snapped its own seven-game losing streak, back-to-back wins against Duke and Syracuse. They went to Miami uh, last night. They lost a wild one, David. What, what stood out to you from Miami's victory over Virginia Tech last night? Several things. First and foremost, I fear for the Hokies that they are running out of time. And there are moments when they look like a postseason team and one that could give you all kinds of headaches, but they haven't been able to close. And last night they could not guard. They gave up 46 points in the paint just unable to contain Norshad O'Meara and Jordan Miller. And then late, Nigel Pack earned his 400000 I mean, he's, he's got that NIL deal, and he scored 17 points in less than six minutes. He just he went nuts and started making threes from the parking lot. And v- Virginia Tech, according to a former ESPN researcher I saw on Twitter, is the first Division I team this season to lose a game in which it shot better than 55% from the field, 40 from three, and 90% from the free throw line, and lost by nine. 92-83. Um, yep. Offense, you're right. Wasn't a problem. Uh, Sean Padula looks like he's gotten back on track. Grant Basile has really emerged as uh, yes. a dominant player, a guy who could do it inside and out. Hunter Couture, I think, is now full strength. You're seeing all you know, 100% Hunter Couture, he's a weapon. Offense, not a problem, but boy, David, you said it. I mean, defense, they, they just, they're going to have to tighten that up because, you know, losing at Miami, this is a pretty good Miami team, yeah. not the end of the world. You're absolutely right about the clock because I don't think you can go to Greensboro counting on, you know, running the table again. If you want to have a, a postseason future, you've got to start getting some of these tough wins in the regular season. Miami's a lost opportunity for that. 0-7 on the road, Mike. I mean, you, you got to have road wins. Absolutely essential. And once again, they're they're running out of opportunities now. That you know, they still get to go to Cameron. That that would be marquee. Um, but you know, last night definitely a chance that they that they let get away. And you know, they they were without Couture for four games and now they've been without Darius Maddox for two. Uh, and would he have helped last night? Absolutely. Uh, and, and Mike Young, he, he was hopeful when we last spoke to him on the Monday call that Maddox would be able to get to Miami. He's, he's been out with, you know, dealing with some family matters. Uh, I presume that he will be back by Saturday against Virginia, but who knows at this point. Yeah, yeah, and you know Virginia Tech has had those those bad breaks this year. Couture with the elbow, uh, Rodney Rice as soon as he gets back uh, with the fracture, needing surgery in the, in the finger, and, and um, seems like maybe done. Uh, Maddox, the time he's missing, so uh, certainly they've had some tough breaks. They they do still go to Notre Dame uh, where they have a, a good chance, I would think, at a road win there, but that won't be marquee. Uh, yep. But they're ten and two at home. They've taken care of business at Castle as they often do. And that will be the site Saturday of the rematch with Virginia. Virginia won the first one, 78-68 in Charlottesville. That was Hunter Couture's first game back from the elbow injury. David, I don't think we're, we're overhyping things to say that if you're Virginia Tech, you absolutely have to have this one. Yes, could not agree more. 
well, what do, what do they need to do? Because it was a 10-point victory for the Cavaliers, the first meeting. What do they have to do differently? What has to happen uh, to make that a reality? They have to continue to shoot it as well as they have. Now, are, are they going to shoot 55-plus against UVA? Doubtful. So that means they've got to be better at one ball security. They turned it over, I believe, 14 times last night. I think Padula had five or six of those turnovers. Can't have that from one of your guards. And they're going to have to defend better, uh, not, not only the interior, but the perimeter as well. In the first meeting, Kihei Clark had 20 uh, for Virginia. And I believe there were five guys who were in double figures. I think all the starters uh, that game for, for Virginia might have reached double figures. Uh, they were 8 of 23 from three-point range, 29 of 57 here as it's loading for me. Uh, so offensively, uh, UVA was really good against Tech. The number that really stood out from that first meeting, UVA had 19 assists and just five turnovers. Uh that was sharp. Virginia was sharp. For them to win on the road, I think that's the key again, is that assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah, no no question. And, you know, Mike, that was before. I'm, I'm calling up the box score as well. But that, you know, that, that also was, was the start, I guess, of Virginia going with, with the smaller lineup and in, in starting Vanderplas, right? Yeah, yeah, they had kind of gone to it the game before, but not starting. This was the first time they started, and uh, yep. they've spread the floor better. They've moved the ball better. Uh, they've just been a better and more challenging offensive team, and they haven't given up on defense as much as we thought. I still think that, man, with Caden Shedrick on the bench and, and not having a true rim protector out there, there's a dynamic missing to this defense. Um, but what do I know? They've won seven in a row. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. It's clearly working. Uh, they're scoring. They're, they're winning games with with offense. They're still very good defensively. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how they approach things in this one. Um, Shedrick only played four minutes in that first meeting. Uh, Francisco Cafaro, Cafaro did not play in the first meeting. So they went completely small against the Hokies and were very successful. Yeah, that was a high level game you mentioned assist turnover ratio combined those two teams that night 38 assists and 13 turnovers yeah that's that's good stuff now yeah and and interestingly you know okay you look at virginia and and kind of uh, what you expect beekman and clark had 12 of the 19 assists you go over to tech and, and not a surprise if you've watched them play but justin mutz from the forward position had seven assists in that game. Um, Mutz had a very Mutz line that day. Ten points, seven assists, six rebounds, kind of a little bit of everything there. Uh, He is a key against Virginia and the defense because he is such a good passer, and he sees the floor, and they can get him the ball in some different positions, right? I think Virginia is at its best when you've got the ball on the perimeter and you're looking to dribble penetrate and you're trying to get by Kihei Clark or Reese Beekman. Well, that's tough to do, right? And then if you do, they're so good at knowing when to help and knowing when to get back. And But Mutz is able to attack them, much like teams going after a zone or a 2-3 two, two, zone. Mutz is able to attack them from a different position. And because of his passing ability, um, like I said, seven assists against the first time, I think he's a key in this matchup. I, I agree with you. And I think Basile is too. You, know, you mentioned earlier how how much he has 
really been a force, I guess, what, the last three or four games, um, r- really since since Mike Young kind of called him out publicly. He sure and, did. Uh, he said, Grant Basile needs to play better. And lo and behold, that young man got the message. And I don't know how or even if it was delivered in practice or in private behind closed doors, but he has really, really amped it up for the Hokies. And and inside, outside, he is a difficult guard. 24 points against Duke, 25 points against Syracuse, 17 last night against Miami. Uh, And interestingly, you know, because I can't remember if it was you, someone asked Mike Young about that on the teleconference. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, And, and I thought it was funny. It was almost like he regretted saying it Publicly is what he said, because what he said was, I don't like to call out my players to you guys. And what I heard when he said that was Grant Basile had been getting that message in practice. And and Mike maybe regretted a little bit the fact that he shared it beyond the the practice facility walls. But how about the way Grant Basile responded uh, to that challenge? He has been, to me, a difference maker. And you mentioned it there. It's because... I think we kind of were impressed early on with the kid as, hey, he can step out and hit that three, and that's a nice little piece to have. But these last few games, he's done it inside. He's done it at the high post, putting the ball on the floor and driving. I remember the Duke game is the one that stands out to me, maybe because I was there for that one, but took, taking it to the front court at Duke, going right at them, physical, um, not backing down. He's really adding something. And, and it's one of those things, along with Couture getting healthy and some of the – that makes you think, okay, there could be a big push here at the end for Virginia Tech. Yeah, and but but where Basili and also Lynn Kidd off the bench need to be better mm-hmm. is on the defensive end. Yeah. They need to wall up better. They need to be stronger in the post. Uh, or or Jane Gardner's gonna have him a field day on Saturday. Yeah, Gardner had to be kind of licking his chops watching uh, Norshad Omir and, and Miami uh, last yep. night. I mean, just going to work and and Omir made some great plays. A lot of it was offensive rebounds, offensive right? Offensive rebounds, just outworking, out hustling, being tougher than. Uh, and that, yeah, that that's a thing that Gardner can do. He did it against Syracuse. He did it at some key spots as we addressed against Syracuse. That'll be important too. Can they? Uh, can Virginia Tech be better on the glass? Keep. Virginia away from those second chance points. You know, Virginia's an interesting team in that regard because you don't think of them as an offensive rebounding team, right? Tony Bennett wants his guys back and set on defense. You don't think of them as an ultimate crashing team, but Gardner's very good. Beekman has done that. Kihei Clark has run down long rebounds off missed threes. Armand Franklin's pretty good in that area. Uh, It is a dynamic to this year's Virginia team. It is. Franklin's a sneaky good rebounder now. I mean, he really he, he had he had a half or excuse me had a handful of rebounds against Virginia Tech the the first go around you know and they still when they play their bigs they're they're great at tapping the ball out uh, you know as as previous Bennett teams have done uh, so yeah you're right second chance points uh, which really hurt the Hokies last night they're going to have to prevent them uh, on Saturday. You noted earlier Virginia with that smaller lineup, and I wrote an article about the fact that they've gone small but have still been a pretty darn good rebounding team, and um, those athletes are the reason. 
Armand Franklin, Reese Beekman. Those are big, athletic, lengthy guards uh, who aren't afraid to mix it up and, and crash for the ball. You got Clark running down the long rebounds. And then you got Gardner, who's undersized, battling. Vanderplas has a great sense for the ball. Um, Ryan Dunn. Ryan Dunn, who two games ago was just kind of emerging, really, as, as just this breakout star. His athleticism, um, he had another couple alley-oops of stick-back dunks. I mean, that, that's becoming the kind of play that, you know, I talked to Ryan Dunn about this after one of the games. It's worth two points, right? You put the ball through the basket, it's worth two points. But when Ryan Dunn goes up and takes a ball that's bouncing off the rim and slams it through for a stick-back or cuts baseline and throws down an alley-oop, it's worth more than two points because of the energy, because of the spark. And um, that's been a big part of what Ryan Dunn has been able to bring. Yeah, and I, I think it was Gardner the other day after the Boston College game said it's it's almost scary when you think about what this young man, you know, a freshman can can be down the road. And he is absolutely accurate there. Yeah. And you think, you know, they've got some other guys. Leon Bond is the guy that I was told is the most athletic member of this recruiting class. Well, after watching Brian Dunn play, I've got some pretty high expectations for Mr. Bond because Ryan Dunn can can absolutely jump out of the gym. Uh, before we move on, since we're talking about Dunn, I thought it was worth going into the story that, that Tony Bennett shared. I know I know it's been out there before, but uh, yeah. about Ryan Dunn's recruitment, right? David, I don't know if you had heard that before. Uh, I know it kicked around, but in essence, I'll boil it down. Uh, Virginia was recruiting Ryan Dunn, had offered him a scholarship. Isaac Trout committed. Virginia was then out of scholarships. Tony Bennett had to call Ryan and, and his father and say, hey, look, you know, we did want you, but we don't have a scholarship right now. We're, we're sorry. Uh, the family kind of understood that's the way it goes in, in major college basketball. Uh, they said, man, we, you know, we should have jumped on it. But then a couple hours later, the dad calls Tony Bennett back and says, hey, would you be willing to take Ryan Dunn as a walk-on if we're able to pay tuition? I can't imagine what was going through Tony Bennett's mind, right? Here's a kid that you were ready to give a scholarship, and he wants to know if he can walk on. Uh, that happens in football. It doesn't happen in basketball, David. Uh, so Ryan commits to UVA as a walk-on. Now, it ends up that things work out. They they have a scholarship for him. Uh, right. The rest is history, as they say. But um, that really tells you what Ryan Dunn saw in Virginia and Tony Bennett, that that's how committed uh, and, and, you know, his family obviously in position to do that. Not every family is. Um, but I thought that was a pretty cool and interesting recruiting story uh, on Ryan Dunn's desire to be at Virginia. Speaks to Virginia's effectiveness recruiting, doesn't it? That, that, it, that, that a young man and his family are, are that sold on the institution that even with a last minute twist, they are uh, willing to, to, to pay the freight. And, um, you know, I'm sure that. I'm sure Bennett's response to the Dunn's question about would you be willing to, uh, the answer must have been about as fast as if Notre Dame came to the ACC and said, if we were interested in coming on as a full member of football, would you have us? Yeah. Would you mind? It's the, the prettiest girl at the dance wants to dance with you. Uh, yeah, the only danger there is if Bennett stammered or stumbled because he was so excited to to get the yes out but uh, no I, I, it's a cool story and, and now you're seeing I, I think the fruits of that because Ryan Dunn seems to be a very comfortable fit in this program and on the floor incredibly talented uh, going to be a big part of Virginia going going forward too and in, in the ACC well 
Let's look around the ACC. We, we mentioned Clemson um, getting upset by Boston College. Virginia is now just a half game back. Uh, Duke got a big win over Wake Forest. Wake Forest has now lost four in a row. Uh, North Carolina has won four in a row. Pittsburgh still in that number three spot. They've won back-to-back games. Miami, <coughs> after that impressive win o- over Tech. NC State still hanging around, relevant. Uh what do you make of, of I guess, that group? Uh, are you seeing shifts? Are, are we changing kind of who we thought were, were going to be at the top, or, or is everybody kind of holding ground? What, what do you see? Yeah, I, I think you can mix mix and match those next. I, I think Virginia is clearly number one, Mike. And then you, you look at last night's result notwithstanding. You look at Clemson, then you have Duke, Carolina, NC State, Miami. You, know, you can put those in darn near whatever order you would like. Uh, I think those six are very well positioned to go to the NCAA tournament. The question for the conference at large is whether anyone else will make a good enough run to join them. What, what do you make of the four-game losing streak for Wake? And, and some of that certainly is opponent-driven. It, uh, it, it that that is a, a big part of it, and you know some of them, you know, last night included. Now I, I know they made a three late, you know, at at the horn to to make it a what a one or a two point game, but you know they they were in that thing uh, the, the the whole night, and you know S- Steve Forbes again l- lamenting defensive lapses. I mean th- they are really good on the offensive end now. But they just haven't been able to to muster up enough stops. And you know, Cameron, it's been a generation. They've lost twenty four straight at Cameron now. Yeah, and and certainly again, Duke's got a lot to do with that. But um, that's just staggering when you consider you are in state rivals and uh, and Wake is is good again. Uh, but yeah, a little concerned by by their slide. Uh, Syracuse has lost three in a row. I think they're uh, kind of sliding out of any kind of picture. NC State to me is is interesting. They're seventeen and five. They're seven and four in the league. They've won back to back games. Um, they feel like a very classic bubble team. <laughs> like they're heading right for that. Now they can certainly get a couple down the stretch that that would change that and, and put them in in the more safe category. But what do you make of the Wolfpack? I like them a lot. Um, I, I I believe they will absolutely be in the tournament. Their metrics are really good. They they can go inside out. I mean, DJ Burns the other day against Wake goes for 31. I mean, so impressive. I mean, he took 26 shots. And he's, as Kevin Keats called him the other day, he's a dinosaur. He is a true back-to-the-basket guy and he's this wide body and man trying to stop him in the post is such a chore and when you go to double him he can pass and he's he's just exceptional and then you know they've got Joyner and Smith and Marcel on the um, on the perimeter and that that just makes them very very difficult we won't spend too much time on this but let's take a quick glance at the bottom of the standings mm-hmm. Louisville train wreck I, th- I think we we don't need Oof. to <laughs> spend much time there georgia tech is one in ten in the conference eight and 13 overall uh, they've lost seven in a row that's a disaster when you look at notre dame boston college 
Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Syracuse. Not that it's going to happen, but of those teams, who's the best to make maybe a run in, in Greensboro? And, and I'm not saying go all the way and, and, and win the thing, but when you look at, at that bottom cluster, Syracuse, FSU, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, is there a team there that you think could make some noise in Greensboro, a team that you still think, hey, man, they're, they're pretty good despite their record? Virginia Tech. Yeah. I, I, to, to me, that's an easy answer just because if they can do it. Last night aside, they can do it on both ends. When when they're locked in, we, we've seen it, Mike. They, they None of those other teams has shown us sustained stretches where they're good enough. Virginia Tech has. You go back to that eleven and one start. I mean, they absolutely look the part, and there there have been moments, even recently, when the Hokies have looked the part. Now, does that mean I think they're go- they're, they're going to make another magical Brooklyn type run? No, but are they capable? Absolutely. Are they more capable than the others you mentioned? No question in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think if you think about all of those teams, and you, you close your your eyes and think about at their best. Who at their best is the best of that group? I think Virginia Tech at their best belongs up in that that next group. It's just yes. can they get there consistently? You know, Florida State has potential, has been disappointing. Notre Dame, I'm still baffled by what's happened to Mike Brace. They can't guard game. anybody, Mike. Um, they just they just can't guard. Which we knew they wouldn't be a great defensive team. But they've been working on defense for the last three years, right? Mike Bray's even changed assistant coaches, hoping to kind of bump that defense up. And with the number of veterans they had that should be comfortable defensively in the scheme and in the system, um, I, I'm I'm just very disappointed. I, I, I thought Notre Dame could be a, a really good team this year. So did Mike Bray. Yeah, and, and that's that's you know a lot of what adds to the disappointment of this being his last year. Uh, but you're right. Of that bottom group there, uh, Virginia Tech is one of these doesn't belong. One of these isn't like the other. The old yes. Sesame Street bit. Mike Young's group shouldn't be where it is and and probably won't stay there uh, much longer. But as we said, Saturday, I think an absolutely must win for the Hokies. Well, it's too early to know must win. We know big game when we're talking about the football schedules. The football schedules did come out Monday night while I was covering basketball in Syracuse. I'll be honest, haven't had a chance to really delve into them, but I know you've had a a chance to give them a good look over. What jumps out to you for Virginia Tech and UVA, uh, their their schedules this year? Mike, the Hokies and Cavaliers obviously both coming off discouraging seasons and Boy, is it going to be hard to get traction early for both of them. Now, with Virginia, we already knew their first three weeks were non-conference games and challenging ones at that. You know, Tennessee and Nashville, home against JMU, then at Maryland. And then what happens in week four? A Friday night visit from Brennan Armstrong and NC State. It's like, wow, that's, you know, that's a bunch of teams that were really, not really good. Maryland wasn't that good last year, but were really quality teams. And that's that's hard. And then Virginia Tech, you look at the opening of the ACC season for the Hokies. Home against Pitt. Panthers only beaten the Hokies three straight by a combined 70 points. Then they go to Florida State, which may be the preseason favorite in the league. And then they come home to Wake Forest. That's, man, that's a tough three-game stretch to open the conference season, and there's no open week in, in, in those three games. 
you know, I, I talked to Brent Pry last night for a story that's up now at, at Richmond.com, and you know, he said that this is the most momentum and, and energy he could imagine around a team that just went three and eight. Uh, he said the way they ended the year with the win over Liberty, they were really excited for the chance to play Virginia. Obviously, the tragedy and, and that didn't happen. But he feels like there's some good momentum in, in his program. We're going to talk to Tony Elliott here in a few hours later this afternoon. Uh, I don't know that either of these schedules helps these programs build momentum. <laughs> um, I, I think, to me, these feel like second rebuilding years for both of these coaches. And um, no fan wants to hear that. Certainly no fan wants to hear that in February, right? February, it's all good news and things are going to be... It feels like both Brent Pry and Tony Elliott um, still have a lot of work to do in terms of rebuilding rosters. Brent Pry spoke to me about... Uh, needing to get more out of the wide receiver position. They've added three transfer wide receivers, including uh, Ali Jennings from Old Dominion. Um, They need more production there. They need better play from the quarterback position. They bring back Grant Wells. They brought in a transfer from Baylor to compete with him. Brent told me that's going to be an open competition for that job. Uh, He wants more out of the pass rush for Virginia Tech. Uh, So, and, And then you think about Tony Elliott, what they've lost, what they've kind of continue to lose defensively. They look like they've got some good pieces, but offensively, man, they, they've got a lot of work to do. Am I, am I being too harsh on February 1st that this feels like rebuilding season still at both schools? No, you're not. I think you're being absolutely clear headed here. And Mike, one thing you didn't mention about either team, who's going to block Yeah. again, we were having this. We were having these same conversations last year, and the question still remains: the offensive line. Are you going to get it fixed? And I'm not sure either has the pieces yet. Yeah, in an ACC, David, that I think has a chance to be okay. There are some teams in the ACC. Um, I think Florida State. You know, we. Is somebody back? I think Florida State's back. Uh, I still think Clemson's really good. Um, I think the league has a chance to to be pretty good, to acquit itself well, and that is great news for the ACC. Not such great news, right, if your team's trying to rebuild in this moment. Absolutely. And North Carolina, you got Drake May coming back. You got a chance. And we will will find out, as usual, with the ACC – we will find out a lot early. You know, Florida State gets gets the rematch with, with LSU, except this year the game's not in New Orleans. It's in, it's in Orlando. North Carolina opens against South Carolina in Shane Beamer um, down in Charlotte on a neutral field. Uh, in late September, Clemson and Florida State play uh, in, in Death Valley. You know, th- that could be a preview of the ACC championship game. Absolutely. It's interesting, too, because so many of these programs uh, have been remade via the transfer portal. Um, you know, for better or worse, certainly there are some programs that uh, <laughs> were hurt more than they were helped, some programs that were helped more than they were hurt. But, you know, I, I talked to Brent Pry, like I said, and he, he felt like they came out ahead in, in the transfer portal situation. We'll hear today what Tony Elliott felt. But the thing I wanted to hit before before we wrap up here, I wrote about this this week. In all, 214 players from the ACC put their name in the NCAA transfer portal. Of those, 
only 67 are currently enrolled at their new school. Uh, 15 did pull their name back out, but that leaves 132 guys who are in the transfer portal here as the spring semester begins. At Virginia and Virginia Tech, they've confirmed with, with their spokespeople there, those guys aren't going to be with the program anymore. They're out. There are a lot of kids that were left in, in limbo. Um, and I know it's a big concern for some people, including the commissioner. I, I talked to Jim Phillips about this, and, and it's a concern that, that the grass isn't always greener, right? It's kind of like all those guys who leave early for the NBA or NFL draft, and th- then they end up kind of left out in the cold. Uh, David, do you think change has got to come, or is the change just going to be kids getting a better understanding? Um be careful what you're giving up because there might not be more out there for you. Yes, my, I think it's going to change organically, as, as you described there. Lessons will be learned. People are going to realize that there aren't always the opportunities that they envision. We are not putting this toothpaste back in the tube. We're, we're not going to restrict transfer rights. It's just not going to play. Uh, you know, Unless... It, it ends up some kind of in some kind of collective bargaining with conferences, with bowl subdivisions, how, however the schools elect to play this, and there has there is a two-year commitment, or, or however it comes out in negotiations. That will be the only way I think that we curb the freedom of movement that the athletes now enjoy. Uh, one thing I, I think people need to be aware of is doesn't necessarily mean that the athletes that still haven't found a home won't, because this is all going to ramp up post spring. And w- once schools get a feel for their rosters in the spring, they'll they'll know okay, we got to fill this hole, this hole, this hole, and then others are going to jump in the portal as well. Yeah, I think that is probably more likely to be the impact. I feel like if you're in the portal now and you didn't draw a ton of interest, and there'll be a few exceptions, um, it feels like the portal has been a lot like NIL in terms of if you're a star caliber player, a star starter level, right? If you're if you're Billy Kemp at UVA, if you're Armani Chapman uh, or Caleb Smith at Virginia Tech, yeah, you're going to find a home. But if you're a guy who kind of wasn't cracking the lineup at those, oh, yeah. right? Unless you're looking to move down, uh, there just might not be a home for you. A thing that I'm interested in, David, to, to see, when you talk about the intersection point between the transfer portal and NIL, are we going to get to a point where you see collectives signing players, and I'm talking about the star players, to multiple year deals to essentially prevent them from transfer portaling? In other words, if I'm school A, I say to my my uh, collectives, hey man, give my starting quarterback a three-year deal so I don't have to worry about him leaving. David, is that is that something that could be in our future? Uh, it could be, but I don't think it will be simply because I don't believe athletes will lock themselves in. And I, th- I think they would then find another home that wouldn't require that multi-year obligation. It'll be interesting. I guess in the end, it comes down to just like any other contract negotiation, right? Do you want more money? Do you want the stability? What what, what are you going for? What are you willing to give up? Uh, But schools, certainly, uh, it's a challenge for coaches right now to not not know what's coming around the corner personnel-wise. And um, I know coaches would love that guarantee. Well, I guarantee 
I'm going to say it right here. I guarantee we'll be back next week. So pressure's on, David. We got to do it now. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. I guarantee it.